Welcome everybody to my next episode in my podcast series, Did It Anyway. I'm really excited to have a special guest on. I, I believe all my guests are special guests, but this special guest is from over the other side of the world. Um, obviously, I'm based in Melbourne in Australia, and my special guest is over in the United States. And just to uh, give you a bit of uh, history of who this amazing lady is, her name is Colette Hall, and she is the wife of somebody that I saw speak, Jason Hall. I saw him speak in Australia a number of, oh, a couple of years ago. Um, he's a motivational speaker and he came came out to Australia and told his amazing story. Um, but what I realized uh, was that he's only part of the story, his amazing story, and that there's a lady that's that stands right beside him um, and has done for a number of years who part, forms a massive part of his story as well. And today I really want to talk to her about her story, which is might be the hidden story, I think, um, of of Jason's life, um, but does an enormous amount to support him and I think is a very courageous woman. And so I'd like to introduce everybody to Colette Hall. Colette, could you um, say hello to everybody in Australia and tell us a little bit about who you are and um, and your story a little bit? Sure. So my name, um, as Baron said, is Colette Hall and I live in Utah over in the United States and we um, have one perfect little nine-year-old boy. He's not perfect, but we think he is. <laughs> His name is Coleman and we, so we're team hall family of three. That's my favorite member and, and this is my favorite team. Love it. I love it. <clears throat> so now if we wind back the clock just a little bit, excuse me as I clear my throat, if we wind back the clock just a little bit to 1991, this is a year I believe that you met Jason. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Sure. So back in 1991, Jason and I were both attending Brigham Young University, which is um, a university here in Utah. And we were studying to get our degrees and all of that. And I actually heard Jason speak at an event there at, at BYU. And during his speech, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things about Jason. He is super charismatic. He is friends with everyone. He's very high achieving, very capable. But something that makes him unique and different is he broke his neck when he was 15 years old and is a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. So when I met him, he was already a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the chest down. And um, we became friends, and I went to hear him speak. And during this speech, uh, he told a story that he doesn't normally tell about a girl that he had dated. And this girl ended up breaking up with him because he was in a wheelchair. And the reason why he doesn't tell that story is because it doesn't really serve a lot of purpose other than to, you know, make her not look so good. And he doesn't usually do that, but he felt really strongly that he should tell that story. And, and this gal is, is awesome. We are still friends with her and there's lots of reasons why she needed to move on from the relationship. One of them was her father was in a wheelchair and really struggled and had a hard, hard life. And so I don't blame her for not wanting to go down that path, but Anyway, as he told this story, I remember sitting in the audience and thinking, what would I do? Not, not in the terms of Jason himself, but what would I do if I was faced with a situation where somebody was in a wheelchair, or had a severe disability, and I was dating him? What would I do? 
And for two weeks, this question kind of plagued me. It wasn't just sort of a, a casual, hmm, I wonder what I would do. It was, it was, I needed to know the answer for myself. And for two weeks, I thought about it constantly. And I finally decided, okay, I, I could do that. If, if I was faced with that, I could do that. And so later, as Jason and I started dating about a six months later or something, um, the question never really had to come up again. I already knew what I would do in that situation. I already knew that I could take on that challenge of dating someone and then marrying somebody who was in a wheelchair, who had a, a disability like this. And it was an amazing um, feeling to have that confidence and know that, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. And I, I didn't know a lot about what it meant because uh, we didn't live together beforehand or anything like that. But um, I did know that I could do it. And so I had peace and confidence in that decision. So were there other people around you that maybe said, Colette, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. This is this will be hard. Your life will be challenging. Did you get those people around you that, that in, all, in all goodness were just letting you know that this could be a really tough life that you're choosing? Absolutely. Absolutely. There were people very close to me that were very concerned and wanted to raise the questions. And there was a point where... I thought, gosh, you know, certain people are telling me that I should that I should worry and that I should be concerned. Maybe I will be. And yeah. I broke up with Jason for for just a very very short time because I thought, gosh, I better I better do that because everyone's <laughs> telling me to be worried. So I guess I better be worried. And it didn't take very long to realize that that was not the right path for me. But it was very interesting because two of the most significant people in my life, my parents who, um, you know, whenever I dated anybody, they kind of took the approach of being hands-off. They didn't want to influence any of their children to stay in a relationship with somebody or go farther in a relationship with somebody because they were close to the family. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. They, they didn't want to be the reason why somebody you know, married someone or dated someone, you know, because they were, had this relationship with the family. So they kind of went the opposite direction and tried to create no relationship at all <laughs> so that we could just choose for ourselves. And it was, it was fine either way, you know, whatever. But the interesting thing about Jason and all these guys I had dated, they had taken that approach. But as soon as Jason came along, they supported me and supported and loved him 100% from the very beginning. And I was kind of shocked that this is, this is their approach, but they never once, never once were they the ones that, that brought up concerns or questions or worries. And honestly, if it were my daughter, I would bring those worries up. I would bring those concerns up. And so would I. Ones. So would they I. They were not the ones. I know. They're better I than know. me. They were not the ones. <clears throat> They were not the ones that that brought up the worries and the concerns. Oh wow, that's amazing! What a, I think it's amazing that you were almost prepared beforehand so that you were ready to do it. But then I find it interesting that you said um, how people sometimes will say that we should be worried, so we better be worried. 
And so, and sometimes it's we can true. get brought down by it's people that, that tell us that, no, 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 you should be concerned about this where we're blissfully going along, not concerned about it. So maybe we should back ourselves just a little bit more sometimes, I think. Yeah, that confidence. I think it didn't take me long to get back there, which I'm grateful for, but, but we should have confidence in those feelings that we have and, and it's, you know, everybody else isn't always right. Yeah, that's right. Now, something that you said to me before we got on the phone today, I, I thought was fascinating. Um, you know, Jason's a motivational speaker and he tells his story, which I must say is an absolutely incredible story. One of the best uh, motivational speakers I've ever seen in my life. And what was what was really interesting, though, is that you mentioned to me that sometimes people come up to you and say, it must be so amazing being married to Jason because he's a motivational speaker and he's lived this incredible life. But I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me the reality, uh, some of the, some of the little things that are the reality of your life. Cause as you mentioned, Jason doesn't um, wake you up with a motivational talk every morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's funny when people say things like that, because I just think really, like, you really think that's what our life is like. And honestly, I want to say, I'll tell you who's motivating who when it comes to, <laughs> you know, day-to-day life. But um, he is awesome in so many ways and has this amazing story, tell, story to tell and ability to tell it that is compelling and, and interesting and motivating and inspiring. So all those things are true. But, you know, we're, we, just, we just try to live our lives. And the garbage still needs to be taken out and... Our son still needs to be, you know, picked up from school and we still have to get dinner on the table and do our jobs and work hard just like anybody else. And so all that daily life stuff is probably very similar to what other people's daily life stuff looks like, except I probably just need to help him more than somebody else might need to help their husband. Yeah. And so, you know, I, you know, small things during the day where I, I have to make sure that things are put away in certain places that he can find them and that the path is cleared. And when he drops something, I'm the one that picks it up. And when he needs to grab something, I'm the one that grabs it. And when something goes wrong with his body, then we have to solve that problem. And when he has an obstacle in his way, then we have to fix that or when his chair breaks or, you know, all those different things have to be dealt with on a day-to-day basis. And, um, you know, that can get a little, a little tiring and a little bit of a struggle, but I think also lots of people have hard things that they have to deal with and you just kind of keep pushing through. I think it's interesting um, that you said, you know, we just live our life like everybody else. That's not like everybody else, Colette. And that is, <laughs> that is not, I know. <laughs> that is, that is far more challenging than, you know, the life that I have to live, for example. I can't speak for everybody yeah. else. And everybody has their struggles. Absolutely. Lots of people have different types of struggles. But I'm really amazed by your attitude towards the challenges that you have. So, you know, the, you, you mentioned, you know, you're picking up things for him and you mentioned the trash, you're taking the trash out. <laughs> like that's the, all those right, li- little things right. that, you know, are shared in other relationships. You, you have to do a lion's share of that. You also mentioned that it takes a long time to get him ready. How long does it take to, to help Jason get ready when he has to go out and do a speech or something along those lines? 
Right. Well, every morning it, it takes him two and a half to three and a half hours to get ready for the day and in his chair and out the door. And so, um, you know, we've been very blessed because uh, we have an aide that helps us with that. And so I don't have to do that. But, you know, it, all, it hasn't always been the case. The, the longer we have um, been married, the more we have had help come in. And I think probably one of the most realistic and, um, you know, difficult times was five years after we got married. Well, and that was going to ask you about that. was a long time ago. It was 20 years ago. Yeah. So but tell that's, me. That's probably more realistic to, to what, um, but the beginning, I guess, of our journey of where we are now. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, um, we can learn some things and put some things in place that, that help us now, but we didn't know them back then and had to kind of learn for ourselves how to navigate being a couple in a relationship and also having to give care to one of the people in the relationship and um, care for their physical needs. And so trying to find that balance is really tricky and very difficult. And being a caregiver is a very guilt-ridden job. Yeah. And is that because you um, never feel like you're that, giving enough? Is that the type of feelings that you, exactly, that you have? That's all... Exactly right. And, and or you think that you're supposed to do it all. And if you, you want to love and you want to serve and you want to help, but it is tiring and exhausting and you wonder if you can keep doing it. And yeah. so there was a time about five years after we got married, Jason, and, and Jason has never gone through any kind of depression or discouragement or anything like that. And his parents are incredible people who encouraged him to be independent and motivated him and helped him to live his dreams, you know, go off and, and live in a different state for college. And that's amazing for parents to be able to create that, that experience for him. So he did all those things and, and he accomplished lots of things in his work, but then he started having some neural pain because of his uh, disability, because of his paralysis. And he couldn't really get over this pain and it caused him to have some depression. And there was a time um, for about a year that he really struggled with with his ability to um, see the good and to work like he normally had. He kind of struggled with that. And I would go off to work. I was a school teacher. I would leave for work, and he would call me all day long, and he would do work for just a couple of hours, and then he would sit in the house. And that is just not his... Um, that's not really his personality at all. And I had never seen him do that and he had never experienced that himself. So it kind of threw him for a loop as well. And during that time, he, he just needed so much. He, he became very, very needy emotionally. And uh, he also in becoming independent and, and things like that, he only let certain people help him. And that was his family members and myself. And those are pretty much the people that could help him. So we would go to a family party or a dinner or something. And my awesome sister-in-laws or sister, my mom 
would say, hey, can I get your plate for you? And he got along with them great and loved them so much that he'd say, oh, no, Colette will do it. Colette, Colette can do it. So it became very draining and very difficult because I was the only one that could help him. And during that time, luckily for us, we had the means to be able to visit his family often. And we did that because it was the only time I got a break. Yeah. Somebody finally was there to help me. And so it was It was on the heels of this whole experience where I was starting to feel like, hmm, I'm tired, you know, and I'm not sure if I can do this, but I'm supposed to do this because I'm his wife and I love him. And so therefore that means that I am supposed to serve and care for and help him with everything he needs. That's what I thought. But, but this is five years into the marriage now, so we're talking 96 and... And yeah. you're, you're getting burnt out. You're getting worn out. And, and that feeling yeah, of guilt yeah, is like becoming really guilt, heavy. It very much so. And I, I believe that many caregivers feel that same way. We want to help. We want to serve because we love this person. But it's very difficult to keep that up so all tell, by ourselves. Tell me what, what helped you. I believe it was his dad that helped you in this situation. Could you tell me a bit about yeah, that? Yeah. So, well, it all came to a head. In 1997, Jason was driving his handicap accessible van, and he was on the interstate, and his front left tire blew, and it sent him through all the lanes of traffic, and he ended up in the hospital. Uh, he, he honestly should not have lived during that car accident, and there he was, completely broken in every way possible, and I had been to the emergency room, and we had stayed there all day while he had some initial surgeries. It began what we we didn't know at the time, but what happened was he was in the hospital for 13 months. So hang on. So just and, to recap, just so we make sure we got the order of events right, because I think this is important. Yeah. Um, so Jason was already a quadriplegic in 1991 Correct. when you met him. We're talking now you know, seven years later, I guess, six or seven years later, and he now has a car accident as already as a quadriplegic right. and is so badly damaged that he ends up um, being in hospital for 13 months. And I remember when he oh. told his story, he had to relearn how to breathe. Um, and so he right. was in, he was in a bad way. He was, I mean, his legs were completely crushed. His whole right side of the body of his body was crushed. And um, he really, he shouldn't have made it. He shouldn't have made it out of that. But see, that tells you a lot about him. And his ability to persevere and just fight back. And so it was during this time, as at, right at the beginning of these 13 months that, you know, I was coming off of feeling really discouraged and burnt out and tired from this depression and, and difficulties that he was having. And now I see this. And I see that this is my future. And and what and were the I emotions? Thought, you know what? Yeah, what were the emotions that you felt right now? Because I, I assume they would have been pretty mixed. Right. And honestly, at that time, I was pretty bitter. Yeah. I was very angry that this was happening to him, to me, all of it. And um, I was mad. I was mad. Fair enough, too, I would say. was what my life, life looked like. And so, luckily for me, I had a relationship with his parents, and his parents were so awesome. But I called his dad, and I just said, 
am in trouble. And his dad is a really proactive, positive person, but he's organized and he is a planner. And that's how I am too. I am all of those things. And he created a plan for me. And when we were talking about that idea of the guilt that you feel as a caregiver, um, where you feel like you, it's your job to solve every problem and to be there 100% and to help and serve and love in every way that you can. He said to me, we were standing in the entryway of our little house in Utah. Jason was in the hospital and he said, you have to let the guilt go. And so he set up a plan for me that gave me permission to let go of the guilt. And it was probably the greatest gift that anyone has ever given me because I learned for myself how to let the guilt go. And that is huge. He helped me practice it. It was, honestly, I wish... I wish I could give that feeling and that experience to just about every woman out there. Men feel it, but women, man, we carry this guilt with us that we think we have to be something and do something. And because of what Jason's dad did, and, and I'll tell you what his plan was. His plan was, was pretty ingenious. He gave me some rules I don't know if you remember, but when Jason spoke to your group, he told a story about his dad and uh, when he broke his neck and he was lying in the hospital 15 years old and his dad brought him what he called chore cards. And on these cards were lots of different things, including lists of his strengths and uh, things that he was supposed to do every day because he understood that if he was able to help his son stay positive and be about productive things, then he'd be able to get through this challenge and difficulty that he was facing. So some of the things he had to do was, you know, read positive things every day. He had to listen to something funny every day. He just had to do, you know, quite a few different things to stay positive and focused on the right things. So uh, Stephen basically did that exact same thing for me all these years later, and he gave me some rules, some things that I could and could not do every day. So at the time, I was teaching school in um, the same town where Jason was staying in the hospital, and he said, okay, um, I said, you can only teach school for half the day. So that was one of the rules. I was only allowed to teach school for half the day, and then he gave me the rest of the day till the end of the school time to go and visit Jason in the hospital. So school got out at three o'clock on a normal day. I taught until about 1230 and went to the hospital and spent a little bit of time with him. But the rule was I had to leave by the time the school day was over because that was my normal functioning day. So I had to leave by three o'clock from the hospital and I could only stay there for a total of an hour. Wow. Was that hard? Was only that allowed must have been to hard. stay at the hospital for an hour. Yeah. It was hard, but again, I'll be honest, it was freeing because somebody gave me permission 
Yeah. And honestly, I was, I was angry. I was bitter. I wasn't very hopeful while I was there because I was just kind of getting more boiled up. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so having to help him and things like that was not really helping me at all. So when I was at the hospital, I could only stay for an hour. I had to leave by three o'clock and I could not help him when I was there. How's that for a rule? That is a tough, tough rule. And at that point, so you're there. I mean, he's your husband. You love him. Yes, you're frustrated at the situation. And, and you, as you mentioned, bitter. But did you have thoughts about whether he was going to make it at all? Did you think he, he might not oh, make it through sure. this experience? Oh, for sure. So it would make it harder to not help him, Many, I would many think. times. Yes, yes. And really this, um, by then we knew that, that he was going to make it. I had kind of gone gotten myself through the first few weeks of life-threatening, touch and go, you know, where I was there helping him and things like that. And it was kind of after in the next month where it all settled in and became very difficult for me to, to handle. And so, um, you know, we got through the, the initial, wasn't sure if he was going to live stage. And now we were into the, this is the long haul stage. And that's when I needed the help and reached out to his dad. And so um, we knew that it was going to take some time. We thought they said he would be in, this happened at the end of November. They said he would be in the hospital. Um, He'll probably be home by Christmas. And he wasn't home until the next Christmas. Oh, my goodness. So no one really understood what what we were facing at that time. But um, it was it was during this kind of long part of the journey that that I just wondered, gosh, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to do this. And so as as I got my little chore cards, I got my little rules of what I could and could not do, um, then things started to shift. And he and his family and my family, they started pitching in, helping because I was not able to help. And probably the biggest thing that happened was Jason's dad talked to Jason and said, enough. Other people have to be able to help. This is not just her responsibility. It is not your job to have her take care of you 100%. And so other people have to help and you need to get over it. So almost like an intervention. And he did. Yeah, but he did. It was it was almost like it just needed to be said. So yeah. you know, I had never said it because I never thought that I could say it or never even imagined that I could feel it. And so once somebody saw the situation that was in the position to help and they did, it helped. And Jason totally did what what his father recommended and suggested and was happy to do that. And so I think it was just a matter of the right communication and the right person stepping in and being able to help in a situation that was over our heads. Yeah. And so over time, the great thing about what he did is over the course of that those 13 months, I was able to do better. I was able to get better at it. And this idea of letting go and not feeling responsible for all of it myself, 
I got better at feeling that. Could I could I ask a question and realizing about, that it was okay? Could I ask a question about that <clears throat> that letting go of the guilt? So you've spoken a bit more about the process of it. So that was. Uh, that was Jason's dad helping in the situation to give you a structure and a process. But <clears throat> how did you personally get your mind around the fact um, that you need to give up that guilt? Like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis for you to be able to soften that bitterness and that frustration? How did you How did you do that in your own mind? I think first of all, yeah. First of all, I had to realize that that. Um, he was right. So I had to recognize that this was something that I actually needed to do. Because if you didn't, if you don't get that far, then you're not ever going to be able to take the next step. Yeah, good call. And so, so I had to see, okay, yes, this is something that I need and it's something worthwhile. I don't really believe it can happen at this point, but I understand that it should happen. You see what I mean? Yeah. And, I'm, and so that's what happened at first is, is thinking, okay, we're going to try this. And then honestly, the trick for me was I practiced it. I practiced it. Day after day after day, I did what he said to do. And I started to realize, oh, I can still love him. I can still help him. I can still support him without having to do it all. I think that that can't be underestimated, Colette. And I think the discipline that you've shown there shows a lot um, of what people need to do in, in different situations, challenging situations. I know that when, and this story is not about me, but when my wife was really sick, Davina, I would try and do everything for her. And I could not imagine how challenging it would feel to stop doing that, deliberately stop doing that, to allow that sort of guilt to go away and still, because I would feel like I wasn't showing love to her in that situation if I wasn't helping. So, um, but I think what you've explained there is, hey, you know what, sometimes you've got to do hard things and it's not comfortable and it's not easy, but the outcome became a lot better. Is that right? No question. No question. And luckily I had a person that, that was in a position to be able to help both of us yeah. to learn that for ourselves and not everybody has that. And so you have to, you have to come up with it on your own. But if there is someone in your life that can, you can have a conversation with and say, Hey, I need help with this and they can help you. then I would highly recommend finding that person and letting them help you with it. You know, if, if a person is struggling with this, with this idea of letting go of the guilt, would there, honestly, there... there. But I'll be. I'll be honest, Barry. There are people that I have told that story to, um, who are caregivers in a situation similar to mine, who are horrified and right. critical. I bet they are. And and, and... I look at it and I say, "Yeah." I look at it and I say, "I. You have to do it to survive. Yeah. You have to do it to thrive." You cannot take care of them and hang on to that guilt like that. And so, you know, it's just a different perspective that I wish every single caregiver understood and felt and and then was able to have the joy that comes from um, living parallel to this person instead of 
um, you know, where you're a teammate yeah. instead of the, the nurse or the caregiver only. Because I would, I would always feel that that's a challenging balance to, <clears throat> you know, this is your your lifelong partner, this is your, your you know, your lover, your friend, your, and, and then to be their carer as well as a, as a tough juggle um, to, to be able to keep And different thing. personalities, yeah, different personalities handle it differently and can do it better or, or whatever. I'm, you know, a strong-willed person and I have things that I want to accomplish as well. And so, you know, I want I want him to be my partner. Yeah. And he is. He is. And so so that probably was one of the most um impactful life-changing experiences that I've ever had and I I feel like it's one of my greatest qualities now, but it's because someone else helped me learn it for myself. Well, good on you for having not only the courage to do that, but also the humility to do that because, um, you know, you've taken advice from somebody and, <clears throat> and put it into place. And that takes a level of humility as well to know that you maybe weren't doing it the best way um, for the situation that you're in. So I think that's a really um, courageous and humble, humble thing to do. So following on from your experience of, you know, the car accident and the 13 months of, of being in hospital um, and what is you know, overcoming the guilt, what has been, what has your life been like since then uh, with Jason? What are some of the challenges that he's had? Right. So, uh, you know, when you're out of the hospital, you're not really ready to be back into life. And it took about 10 years following that hospital, that original hospital stay after the car accident to um, have Jason be able to kind of get back on his feet, so to speak. He spent about 10 years in and out of the hospital for three months at a time while he had over that the course of that time about 30 different surgeries and you know we spent a lot of time at a variety of hospitals trying to mend the broken body that you know that was created and one of the tricks was he he just was not himself he was not himself and I just wondered if this wonderful man that I married was ever going to come back because he, you know, needed medications and things like that. And, and we were so blessed with lots of great doctors and care um, providers and nurses and things like that, that helped him solve a lot of the problems that he needed solved so that he could get a lot of his life back. And that was quite a big journey. So um, after about 10 years, we decided that it was time that we could maybe try to have a, a baby. We had tried before his car accident. We had to do everything um, with doctor's help, you know, different help from the doctors and things, but nothing had worked. And so after about 10 years, we had been married for 16 years, and we did it in vitro and finally got our little miracle child, Coleman. And it was such an amazing blessing. And and an incredible gift for our little family to finally have um, someone else to care for. And it, it shifted the care and the attention from Jason to um, him wanting to provide care. When a person does that, when they are able to shift from needing the care, and, and even if he still needs the care, to really having such an awesome purpose 
like a little tiny human being um, to provide care for that gives that gives you a lot of, of um, strength and ability to move forward and really achieve great things. And so now today, even though he has had many surgeries since Coleman has been born, Coleman actually uh, spent his fifth birthday. We had a birthday party in the hospital and his sixth birthday party in the hospital. So there's been still plenty of hospital stays and things like that. But Jason is as healthy as he has ever been 20 years later. And I believe a lot of it has to do with the fact that he is living for this little child that he loves so much. And it gives him such a sense of of purpose that his body is stronger. And I I think that's an amazing gift and quality that we've been given, um, you know, later in our marriage, but to have this, this person in our lives that, that we get to pay attention to and, and have, you know, lift us up. I was speaking to somebody on a different episode of my podcast that, that um, I've just been reminded of with what you just said there and, and her focus was on the other person. And when she started to focus on the other person, um, a lot of the, her own troubles seem to, to disappear a little bit. And that seems to be what's happening here in that as Jason has put more time and focus on his son, he's got obviously more of a reason to, to, to get up every day and do the stuff that he needs to. But also maybe some of his challenges aren't, aren't at the forefront in his mind. And so that makes things a little easier for him, but not only for you, for you as well. Would that be fair to say? Sure, sure. I think that that's very true, and and I think we've, we've just been given a great blessing that he can enjoy um, these years with with better health and the ability to really do what he wants to do. And I I think it's an awesome gift that we've been given, and we'll take it for as long as we have it. Yeah, and I just want to mention one thing: the challenges don't go away. Um, you know that. And you wouldn't want your challenges to go away because your challenge is your greatest gift in your life as well in Jason, I think. But the you mentioned one thing to me at, um, that I thought was interesting, and this just gives the daily grind challenge that I like to talk about, is you know, you mentioned to me that at 2 o'clock a.m. every morning, you need to roll Jason over in bed. Is that right? That is right. So, there's, you know, something it's one thing being in a wheelchair and not being able to walk, but everything that's associated with being uh, paralyzed and in that wheelchair, there's just so much more to it than the fact that you can't walk. And it's those kinds of things that start to get to you after a while. It's, it, it, you know, he gets what's called pressure sores if he doesn't really care for, um, you know, how his, his skin is things, how his, you know, wheelchair is sitting, if he's not doing pressure releases where he lifts up, out of his chair for a few minutes every um, every 30 minutes or so. He kind of tips back in his chair. He's got a special chair that tips him back, and he's got to be very vigilant about that. And he is. He does such a good job. But in the, in the nighttime, he can't just lay in the same position all night long. And so in the middle of the night, he will you know, say, Colette, and I will wake up immediately. Even if I'm in a dead sleep, I will wake up and I will come and roll him over. And I just hope that that's the only time he says my name. (laughs) (laughs) He might have been saying it for two minutes, Colette, Colette, Colette. Sometimes sometimes it happens more than once. And I'm just like, oh, do not, you know, I do not want to roll you so many times in the middle of the night. But 
um, I don't know, I guess we just sleep with, on the newborn schedule. Yeah, right? I love that. 26 yep. years, we're <laughs> on the newborn schedule. And and luckily for me, I, I usually can fall right back to sleep. But, you know, when they say under, get un, uninterrupted sleep, I just think, oh, that's a dream. That, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> most people... Happens. Most people are done with uninterrupted sleep, you know, by the by the time they've got a child who's, you know, 10 or 11 years old. And, and you're like, nope, that's never going away for us. No, it doesn't go away. So there's there's things like that that are a constant um, issue that we have to deal with. And and just lots of little things all day long that he needs help with that I'm the person to help him. And um, things always go wrong. There's, I We just kind of have this joke where if, something doesn't go wrong, then that is, wow, that was so amazing that something didn't go wrong while we were out at the movie or at the show or, you know, in a family thing or whatever. We just kind of expect something to go wrong. And when it doesn't, it's this awesome, pleasant surprise. What would so be what would be some of those things, of if I could ask, what would be some of those things that could go wrong? Because you've mentioned that a couple of times where you might be out, he might be at a speaking engagement, you might need to leave or you're out at the, at right. the shops. Or what what well, sort of goes wrong? Yeah, they mostly with like bodily functions, gotcha. let's just say. And, gotcha. and or he'll get kind of sick, um, you know, he gets this thing called dysreflexia if something is wrong with with his body where he'll, his blood pressure will um, kind of go haywire and, and he'll get this pounding headache and it's his body saying something is wrong. So then we've got to figure it out. Is his shoe too tight? You know, if we tight it too tight, wow. is he um, getting pressure somewhere that we don't know about or, or his chair will malfunction and we'll have to figure out how to fix that. That happens fairly often or we'll try to get somewhere and um you know he's fallen out of his chair he's fallen off the curb he's you know like just all kinds of things like that where you just say okay we've got to go solve this problem and and try to fix it somehow and there's plenty of times that he's he's had to get hauled out of something that he got himself into when he shouldn't have or whatever, you know, and so I need help. I take you back to the start of the, the discussion where you actually said, you know, we just deal with everyday things. They're not everyday things. And so I think right, what's right. important to remember, true. I guess, they're not everyday they're things. They're not everyday things. You know, you got to, you got to be like a, some sort of investigator to figure out what the challenge is. Like if it's a shoelace that, that your shoes on too tight or you got to try and take some guesses and obviously you have a process to yeah. work through, but that's not a standard thing that most of us deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I, what I've really gained. Or you can solve it yourself where he needs help solving it. Yeah. You know, gotcha. like yeah. You, you might tighten your shoe too tight, but you can tell, oh, that's too tight. And then they'll fix it. Yeah. And we we got to figure tell. it out. <laughs> you got to figure it out. Yep. Um, exactly. And, and that yeah. just, that just makes me think what you are doing is extraordinary. And, and, and you as a person are extraordinary. And I think sometimes as individuals, especially people that I've interviewed just recently, a lot of them feel they're not extraordinary and they just do the day-to-day stuff and just get on with life and, and do it. But um, the the challenge that you face on a day-to-day basis, Colette, uh, are tough because they're unrelenting and it's a grind and you have to constantly be aware of so much stuff around you. And I think people will gain a lot of courage and strength from your story uh, because they'll have challenges in their life that uh, are different um, but understanding that 
you can get through them and you can keep going and just grind through them and it, it shouldn't totally define who you are. And your story about letting go of that guilt, um, I think is a huge thing that a lot of caregivers need to sort of deal with as well. And so I, I'm so grateful that you've been able to share your story with us today. Is there anything else that you think might be helpful for anybody that's listening of some of the challenges that you deal with on a day-to-day basis? Well, you're, first of all, you're kind to say all those things. I appreciate it, Baron. I appreciate the chance to, to be here with you today. And I guess my last little note for anybody listening would be to say, be gentle with yourself and give yourself a break. You know, do your, do your best, but be gentle and kind to yourself. And however kind you're trying to be with other people, be that kind of kind to yourself because you're probably doing a lot better than you think you are and give yourself that chance to tell yourself that you're doing okay. Yeah. I love that. And I love, I love that message because some of us are, are not in the limelight, I guess. And when we look at Jason, he's in the limelight, he's out there and he's telling his story, but there's people doing work in the back end. And, um, and just because we're not in the limelight doesn't mean that we're not successful. And I look at your life, Colette, and I go, that is super successful. What you are doing on a database, mm. day-to-day basis is super successful. And sometimes we're harsh on ourselves because we don't think we're where we should be or creating this amazing life that we that we see on Instagram or, or we see other people's lives that we think are all amazing. Um, and sometimes we're working in the background uh, but that doesn't make our life any less extraordinary. And I think you've, you're testament to that and been able to show that to people today. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy. And so just to finish off, I, I would say um, those listening to my podcast series, that just smash that subscribe button. I say it most, uh, most episodes. And if you've got anybody else that you feel is a little bit like Colette or um, he's going through, has gone through some tough times but has such a great attitude towards life, I'd love to speak with them and, and have them uh, have their opportunity to share their story with other people to inspire people around them. So um, jump on and have a listen to the next podcast as it comes up. And thanks so much for listening. And Colette, once again, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Have a fantastic day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.